This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Like all public radio stations, WDFH depends on financial support from our listeners. Please visit WDFH.org and click on Donate to make your tax-deductible gift. Shows like this can't be done without your support. Thanks, and now, Outcasting. This is Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show, dealing with LGBTQ, struggles, triumphs, lifestyles, and favorite Jersey Shore characters, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH FM 90.3 in Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. Hi, I'm Morgan, and on this edition of Outcasting, we're discussing healthy LGBTQ relationships. Hi, I'm Juliana. Today on Outcasting, we're speaking with the Domestic Violence Education Prevention Program, or DVAP team, from My Sister's Place in Westchester. We have Christine Poplowski, the DVAP Program Coordinator. Hi. Rebecca Drago, a community educator. Hello. And Honor Adams, another community educator. Hello. Today we're speaking about healthy teen relationships in the LGBTQ community. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. What do you guys do at My Sister's Place? What's your basic um, idea behind the DVEP and My Sister's Place? Um, So at My Sister's Place, we offer a number of services to victims, survivors of domestic violence. So some of those services include uh, legal services, so we have lawyers available. We have a few shelters located in Westchester County that are completely confidential, um, so no one knows where they are. We have a lot of counselors that can come and help you talk about your relationship and whatever you're going through. Um, And we have counselors available for teenagers as well as adults. Uh, We have support groups, and we have an immigration office. So we have folks that can help you uh, navigate the immigration system if you are sort of a victim of domestic violence as well as dealing with immigration issues. Um, What we're part of is the DVET program, which is Domestic Violence Education and Prevention. And that means that we go into high schools and some middle schools all over Westchester County and talk to teens about teen dating violence and preventing teen dating violence. What do you think is a healthy relationship? How exactly do you define what's a healthy or an unhealthy relationship? Yeah, it's a great question. At my sister's place, uh, we've sort of defined a healthy relationship as having three key components. So those three key components are respect, equality, and safety. So if you were to think of respect in a relationship, what do you think that would look like? How would one partner treat another partner with respect? Um, well, for me, respect in a relationship is it goes like hand in hand with the equality part. If both parties have the same say in issues and if not one of them feels like they're above another because of how much they make or like their their status in society or anything like that. So that, that's definitely what respect. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great answer. So treating each other with kindness, not calling each other names, respecting each other's identities, um, things like that. And I think you also sort of got at equality, which means treating each other the same way. So having the same amount of respect for each other. Um, Another way to think of equality is that if one person, um, or sorry, rather, if both people have equal decision-making power. 
So if it always isn't one person saying we're going to the movies tonight, or we're going to drive my car, or we're going to have dinner here with these people, but rather both people sort of making a decision together、um, and coming to a consensus on that. So that's kind of what equality might look like. Safety is really where we find、um, the most abusive relationships come in if safety is lacking. So safety can be different for everyone, and, and often it is.、Um, and safety can be anything from physical safety, so feeling safe, not like you're going to be hit or hurt or pushed or anything like that,、um, but also emotional safety. So knowing that you can say whatever you want to your partner, you can speak your mind, you can react to things, you can explain whatever you want to do for that night. Um, without fear of of your partner getting mad at you, hitting you, yelling at you, making feel, you feel badly about your decision. So if if a relationship has those three pieces, respect, equality, and safety, then we believe it's a healthy relationship. If it's lacking lacking any or all of those, then it's either an unhealthy relationship or an abusive relationship. What are the main problems that you see at my sister's place specifically regarding LGBTQ relationships? So there's a lot of different types of abuse that happen in all kinds of relationships,、um, and I'll list a few of those now. And these go for both heterosexual relationships as well as LGBTQ relationships.、Um, and those are physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, cyber abuse, and financial abuse.、Uh, if you have any questions about those, we'd be happy to answer them. And those can be part of any type of relationship. What we see mostly in LGBTQ relationships is that there can also be sexuality abuse as well as identity abuse.、Um, so some examples of this is that, and sort of some of the things that I've seen、um, in LGBTQ relationships that can be really problematic, are that LGBTQ folks don't necessarily have a model for what a healthy relationship looks like. So in the media, we're always seeing heterosexual couples. We're seeing You know, a boy and a girl dating on TV or in movies or in magazines—that's、uh, sort of the most common type of relationship, as we all know,、um, as seen through the media. So, if you're a young person in a same-sex or queer relationship,、uh, there's not necessarily as many models for what your relationship should look like. So, I think that that's a big problem facing the LGBTQ community.、Um, and something else that kind of goes hand in hand with that. Is that if you don't have any models for what that relationship is supposed to look like, you might not also have outlets for who to talk to if you feel that you are in an abusive relationship. So if you don't know anyone else that you're comfortable talking to, maybe your relationship is still closeted or you haven't come out and told anyone.、Um, then if you're sort of in an abusive relationship, on top of that, it kind of adds to the pressure put on that relationship because you don't have have anyone to talk to, have anyone to to say how do I get out of this or or what can I do. And I think one thing that when we talk about healthy relationships with teens, whether they're heterosexual or、uh, LGBTQ, it's relationships is a hard thing. It's exposing your vulnerabilities. It's exposing your secrets to another person and putting trust in that person. So whether you are whatever relationship, same sex or、um, heterosexual, it's a hard thing to do.、Um, and defining where that safety is is even hard. So I think Rebecca is completely right that.、Um, Not only is, do we not have models in our media and our society that are necessarily showing us how to do it, but what our media and society exposes us to in relationships, secrets and respect and safety are not always on the page.、Uh, we talk about Jersey Shore a lot in our presentations, so these are some of the images we see just for relationships that are full of violence, full of、um, 
exposing people. And so in a community where this is often a very long and changing process, or even a short changing process, but a lot of vulnerabilities are there, um, how does that affect uh, when abuse starts to happen? How do people use that against another partner to make someone feel unsafe? So that's a lot of what we see as well. That's kind of secret sharing before it's ready to be shared. Definitely. And I think that one of the really big things that we talk about in some of our presentations is emotional and verbal abuse. And I think that that really can play a really difficult role in LGBTQ relationships in which one partner can really coerce and manipulate um, and try to really put that person down based on who they are. And like Rebecca said, some of the um, the other types of abuse that we see most often in LGBTQ relationships are identity abuse um, and sexuality abuse, which can be really hurtful and really dangerous in some relationships, especially like Christine and Rebecca said, if that person doesn't have anyone to go to or feels like they can't come out as not only being um, in the LGBTQ community, but also being a victim of abuse, which can be really, really difficult. And this also, I think, goes into, so we're talking mainly about sexuality, but um, trans issues kind of play a role in this, too. Because if if one person in a relationship is starting to transition or, or talking about transitioning, that's sort of another opportunity for an abusive partner to put more pressure on that person. Whether they say, I want you to transition, or I don't want you to transition, or I want you to take this direction with your you know, your section of the transitioning, whatever it is. Um, so that's another issue, I think, with within relationships where one or both partners are, are transitioning. You guys mentioned, all of you mentioned that there isn't really a media model of what a healthy LGBTQ relationship is. So how do you provide um, not just teenagers, but anybody seeking your services at my sister's place with a model for a healthy relationship? So I think one of the ways that we try to do it in the presentations is, is kind of like Christine said, by showing what we don't think is a really healthy relationship and kind of picking that apart and saying these are the qualities in those relationships that we find so unhealthy. What are some ways that we could really um, kind of change those or see those and recognize those in the media? Um, and so like Christine said, for, ex for example, for Jersey Shore, we would say that, you know, those relationships might not all be necessarily abusive, but that there's some really dangerous um, abusive qualities in those relationships um, and what do they look like and what are the different types of abuse and we spend a lot of time talking about what some of the warning signs are um, so I think one of the ways and definitely there are other ways which I'm sure Rebecca and Christine can speak to in a minute but one of the ways that we really try to to show what a healthy relationship can be is by breaking down what those really unhealthy relationships are and kind of pinpointing those exact things that make them unhealthy or abusive relationships. And a lot of times, too, we ask the teens that are in our presence. Uh, we can say this is disrespectful, but a teen might not feel that's disrespectful for them. So a lot of the times when we're working with teens, we ask them, what would it feel like if you were disrespected? What does that look like? If you feel unequal in your relationship, why might that be? What's, what's your points that make this start to feel unsafe? So we go back to that respect, equality, safety, because what we believe is that once you feel that loss of safety, that's when you start to see the abuse happen. When you look at identity, and as Rebecca was talking about with transitioning, uh, that, that can look so different. That can look as a challenge, that can look as encouraging, but what does it mean for the teen that's sitting there? Um, and I'm also the counselor at DVEP. Sometimes you get calls of teens asking, should I be nervous about this? Um, and one of the things that Honor and Rebecca do every time they're in a classroom is they give out some warning signs of what to look for in your relationship 
whether it's heterosexual or LGBTQ? Where does that safety give you that gut feeling that makes you feel like this is not a good relationship anymore? I need to talk to a friend about it. Today, we're speaking with Christine, Rebecca, and Honor from My Sister's Place in Westchester, part of the Domestic Violence Education and Prevention Program, or DVEP, about healthy teen relationships in the LGBTQ community. You guys were talking about, like, how teens ask, what should I worry about? Well, what are some things that teens should worry about in a relationship? Like, what are some specific signs of an unhealthy or abusive relationship? Some of the things that we talk about in our presentations and that we've maybe had experience with with teens telling us or with ourselves, um, one of the major things is bully, uh, sorry, is jealousy. So we call this extreme jealousy, and it's uh, when one partner is jealous of everyone their other partner talks to, hangs out with, spends time with, etc. So it's pretty natural for people to feel jealous in relationships. It's not necessarily a good thing, um, but if it's sort of you know, it it doesn't go to any extreme level, it's it's okay. But what, what we see in abusive relationships is that one partner will really act on their jealousy. So they'll tell their girlfriend or boyfriend or, or however, um, whoever they're dating, that they don't want them seeing this person and they don't want them talking to them or texting them or hanging out with them, uh, whether it be an ex-partner, their family, friends, coworkers, anything like that. So that's a really big sign of an abusive relationship. And it often comes out very smallly, uh, smallly, very slowly, and it can be very small how it manifests. So while it may come to the extreme that Rebecca is talking about, that no, you're only spending time with me, this kind of control over who and where and when and how you behave outside of this partnership um, becomes the thing they're looking for to make this extreme jealousy. And I think, too, like Christine was saying, it has a a lot to do with controlling that person and really trying to isolate them from the people around them. So uh, I know we had spoken a little bit about different ways to control someone, but some of the other ways that we see, especially in LGBTQ relationships, can be really who you hang out with, who you tell about um, anything that has to do with your personal life, uh, where you go, what organizations or what clubs you belong to. And if you have an outlet, um, if like let's say you're in the part of the GSA or you're involved in the LGBTQ community, attend some kind of, you know, organization or something like that, really trying to control and take that away from you and say, you know, you can't go to those things, you can't be a part of those. And that in any way, shape or form with sports or clubs or activities in general can be really debilitating to teens that um, are in an abusive relationship because like we've said before, they, they really don't have anywhere to go necessarily. Travis is also with us and he had a comment. Hi, uh, my question is just about, you talked about how some of these simple things like jealousy jealousy can lead into extreme jealousy and that's how a relationship can be abusive, but what are some of the ways to stop the a relationship uh, from becoming abusive at these early stages of jealousy or other things? I think that's one of the hardest parts. Um, our educators always say you're not going to know when you meet someone on the first day that you're going to be an abusive partner. So knowing these warning signs, like we said about extreme jealousy or isolating from activities or people that you love, um, that gut feeling you have in your stomach that something's a little off and this, this thing he or she said or this thing he or she did made me feel nervous. Listen to those. Listen to friends and talk to friends about it because you have a sounding board. And then when... When or if it becomes abusive, you have another person to keep talking to, to keep asking that advice. And if it does get abusive, someone to ask for help for. All right. And 
And what do you recommend to people who are in abusive relationships but don't feel like it's possible for them to terminate it, whether the person is threatening them by hurting themselves or they just can't feel like they can end the relationship at all? So that's a really great question. It's a question we hear a lot, um, not only in our teen presentations, but just in talking about domestic violence in general. And I think one of the really key things that we like to say about My Sister's Place is that we're a victim-based organization, which means that um, if someone calls and says, I really want to help my friend, I really want to help this person in my life, um, we really, really believe that the best way that that person could leave an abusive relationship is is by their choice, is by them doing it themselves. And I know that sounds like such a tough concept because um, having seen these relationships, I'm sure Christine and Rebecca can agree that just hearing about these relationships is just so taxing on, on you and on what you do in general. And, you know, there are points when you kind of just want to say, just, you know, leave. Why don't you just leave? But we do spend a large majority of our presentations talking about why it's not so easy to leave. Um, that said, I think that it's so important to really have um, a strong and Christine said sounding border support system in that victim, that person's life, that they would be able to feel strong enough to want to leave that relationship on their own. And for teens especially, it's it could be one of the first relationships they're entering. So it's a decision they made on their own personal uh, choice and bias. And especially in an LGBTQ relationship, you're making a very positive statement about your identity. So when you make that choice and you find out it's not the best choice or you might be being abused and you still love this person, sometimes it's really, really hard for someone to say, I made the wrong choice or how is this person hurting me and I still love them. So I think the best thing we can do is be friends and listen to them because it takes a long time for someone to leave and just making sure they're safe. Um, When teens call me for counseling through our hotline, which we can tell you more about, it's 1-800-298-SAFE. People call, a lot of the times they're finding out what they can do. Most of the times I would say kids don't want to leave right away or they don't know what to do. So the first thing I ask them is, are you safe right now? What does safe mean to you? If you are questioning whether you're safe, who do you have to ask um, for help? And do you feel okay calling them for help right now? So that's the best thing you can do if you're in a situation is ask if I'm safe, if I don't feel safe, but I still love this person. Who do I set up? What friend do I call if it becomes unsafe? Yeah, and I would say that as a friend, something that you can really do um, is is give that person some options. So Christine sort of mentioned this, but let that person know that there there's a hotline number to call. There's people to talk to. There's you know guidance counselors and teachers and and people available for that person who's who's being abused to really um, get help in whatever way they need. Because oftentimes, what victims of domestic violence or teen dating violence feel is that they feel powerless. They feel trapped. You feel kind of stuck wherever you are. So having options, having ideas of what you can do when you're ready, uh, that's a really, really big thing for that person. And one thing I would just ask as teens out there, because you're going to be the ones that um, are the first ones who hear about this stuff, because teens talk to teens before they talk to an adult. So listen to them before you react. Um, Because if I was someone who said, I'm not sure if I'm in a good relationship, and I come to someone and they immediately want to hurt the next person or make me get out of that, and I'm afraid, that might be something that makes me stop talking to you. So you want to be that friend who keeps talking to the person who's being abused or uh, being an open door for them because eventually they will ask for your help and they'll get out of that situation, hopefully. 
Today, we're speaking with Christine, Rebecca, and Honor from My Sister's Place in Westchester, part of the Domestic Violence Education and Prevention Program, or DVEP, about healthy teen relationships in the LGBTQ community. Also here at Outcasting, we have David, one of our Outcasting members, and he had a question. Earlier in the interview, you mentioned two types of abuse that are common among LGBTQ relationships, which are identity and sexuality. I don't understand what those mean. Do you? Can you explain them? Definitely. Um, so, and it's not particular to LGBTQ. Um, I think anyone can be uh, abused based on their identity, whether it's your name you're being made fun of or what have you. But we find that it's particularly um, a focus or something that happens in LGBTQ relationships. So being abused on your identity is based on anything about you. So ways we might see this is um, you're not gay enough, you're not lesbian, lesbian enough, or it could be that, you know, this is what I perceive you should be in our relationship. And it could be using things that either society thinks um, LGBTQ should be, what you think it is, what you've determined in your relationship and it changes, or maybe it's your style, how you look as a gay man or gay woman or transgender person. Maybe it's not fitting the role that I presume. So it's taking pieces of your identity or your sexuality and using that against you to control you or take power away from you. The types of abuse that we've mentioned throughout our time here aren't really so specific in terms of just being just physical abuse or just emotional abuse. So I do want to kind of make that clear that all the different types of abuse, and especially in the LGBTQ relationships that we've been talking about, don't necessarily have to just fall under one category. So for example, um, if you have someone that identifies as bisexual in a relationship and someone says, oh, well, you're not, you know, um, or I think bisexual people are supposed to do this sexually or that sexually, and maybe trying to, to force or coerce or manipulate that person into doing something sexually that they don't want to do um, because of who they are and how they identify. And that can be really scary because that's not just, like we said, just one kind of very specific type of abuse. And, I mean, thinking about it logically, that is going to play a really serious part in how that person um, defines who they are, defines their relationship, and even how they feel. So emotional abuse as well could even play into that. So, again, it's definitely not just about the abuses separately, um, it is really important to think of them kind of combined so that they can really play off of one another, which the abuser knows and can really um, play into in that relationship as well. And again, Christine sort of mentioned this before, but it doesn't necessarily have to be as obvious or as explicit as I'm trying to control you. You know, one (laughs) abusive partner um, can sort of, it can almost sound romantic. I always use the example that I really love it when you wear your hair really short and when you wear really tight clothes. Or I really, really hate it when you talk to that person because it just hurts me and I don't want you to hurt me. Won't you please just kind of stop talking to them? Or I can't stand to second stay another you know, second away from you, will you please just come over tonight? Kind of sounding really romantic, but ultimately leading to that control. And that can come out in any kind of relationship. And as Honor say, you know, Honor said it can be any type of abuse within that. A lot of people that I know, friends, straight, gay, whatever, they don't feel like they're ready to go into a relationship or they don't know when to uh, qualify something as a relationship and what are some of the signs you think that someone should be ready to go in a relationship or they should not go into a relationship 
I think it's totally unique to that person, um, whatever they feel personally comfortable with. Um, and I think that's a really good lesson in general is just being aware of what you are comfortable with. Are you ready to be in a relationship with someone, have a commit with, commitment with someone? Is your personal comfort level there? Um, and then once you, if you believe that you are ready for that, um, looking at that respect, equality, and safety that we feel are, you know, part of every healthy relationship and, and, making sure that your level of respect, equality, and safety are all being met within that relationship. So I think it's pretty unique to that to that person and then to that couple. And I think, too, Christine had mentioned uh, having a really strong gut feeling about certain things and types of relationships, and that may not be a, a bad gut feeling. It could just be a gut feeling in general that I just might not be ready for this right now or this might not be the person for me right now. Um, and I think it, it is really important to really pay attention to that within yourself because like Rebecca said it really is unique to one specific person so for something that I might be ready for someone else might not be ready for so to really pay attention so to what your body what yourself is telling you and and the way that you're feeling about a certain situation and one of the things our team I I'm really proud of our team for going into different schools is that we talk about all the stereotypes out there we talk about all the shoulds what you should be doing what society says you, you should be and None of those are accurate to me. So are they accurate to you? So there's no timelines to when you should start dating or when you should start acting sexually. There's no definitions that we need to stick in a box for. You can determine that on your own. Um, so I think Anna and Rebecca are both wi- right. Follow those instincts that tell you what's good for you. Mm-hmm. And besides you guys going into schools or uh, health classes talking about these things, Where do you think kids are supposed to learn what a healthy relationship is like if they don't have that at home or they don't really see it in the media or anything? We actually, um, this year and the year before that, we actually went to PrideWorks, which is an LGBTQ teen um, conference in November. And we did a presentation about healthy relationships there um, and about LGBTQ-specific relationships. But this year and last year, we did one about bullying and LGBTQ uh, communities in schools. Um, and so it, it, that, I mean, it's a wonderful way to kind of get out there and get our voices heard and, and to try to, you know, bring the respect, equality and safety, not just in schools in Westchester, but, um, through some other conferences as well. You mentioned that you had a 24 hour hotline. So what would that number be? Uh, so that's 1-800-298-SAFE, which is 7233. Um, and it's, Teens can call it. Adults can call it. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you are also a teen who is a little nervous to pick up the phone, you can also email us at dvepstaff, which is D-V-E-P-S-T-A-F-F at gmail.com. This is not 24-7, and if it is an emergency, please call the hotline or 911. But this is a place where if you do have questions, we can answer. And we do. All of our services are open to people along the gender and sexuality spectrum. So if you are an adult that's LGBTQ or a teen that's LGBTQ, please feel free to utilize our services. We've been speaking with Christine, Rebecca, and Honor from My Sister's Place in Westchester, part of the Domestic Violence Education and Prevention Program, or DVEP, about healthy teen relationships in the LGBTQ community. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you very much for having us. I know we were all great, very excited to be here. Teens really do reach out to teens first. We thank you for being advocates with us and allies to fight teen, di- teen dating violence as well. If you or someone you know is in a domestic violence situation, call the confidential free 24-hour hotline of My Sister's Place 
at 1-800-298-7233. That number is 1-800-298-7233. You can also visit them online at mspny.org or on the Outcasting page as a community resource at wdfh.org. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show dealing with LGBTQ struggles, triumphs, lifestyles, and favorite Jersey Shore characters, where you don't have to be queer to be here. If you are having trouble, whether it's at home, at school, or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project Lifeline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBT youth suicide prevention. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH-FM 90.3, Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. For more information on this program and a list of resources, including the Trevor Project Suicide Hotline, visit us at WDFH.org and click on Outcasting. I'm Morgan. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next time. If you enjoyed this program, please make a tax-deductible gift to WDFH. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit WDFH.org and click on Donate. Thanks.